No one celebrates death. Death, it may be said, is one of humanity's greatest enemies. Apart from those who are somehow troubled and manifesting what would be considered antisocial behavior or thoughts, death is feared, death is abhorred, death is despised. We despise death because death involves separation. It is a separation of the body from the soul. It is a separation of one loved one from another. Because of this, it really doesn't matter why death happens or to whom it happens. Even in those cases where it is expected, death is still hard. Whether you're speaking of an 80-year-old or an 8-year-old, death is always hard. Whether it's due to some accident, some disease, or the normal course of life, death is always hard. We do our best to avoid and or delay death. We exercise. Maybe we eat a little better if we get a certain diagnosis. We make ourselves up as we age. We dress better. Some have various kinds of surgeries to eliminate wrinkles, to remove excess fat, to mold them to look closer to what they did when they were younger. A little nip here, a little tuck there. We study diseases and various other ailments, those things that lead to death, to see if we can overcome them. We study the body in intricate detail to see if we can determine why the body tends toward death as age progresses. But for all of our technological advances, no one has identified the gene that causes death. No one has isolated the exact molecule or developed a cure or a vaccine for it. Someone has said that pain in the body is an indication that there is something wrong. Our bodies instinctively know that when there is something wrong, it has to get a message to the brain. And in order to communicate that message to the brain so that the brain can do something, wake up, stupid, you're on fire, right? So that the brain can do something, it sends a signal through the nervous system to say, hey, there's an issue here. You need to address it. Death among humanity is that constant reminder, that indicator that something is very wrong with the world. We all face death. We all must eventually die, and we know it. No matter how much we know it and understand it and accept it, there's still something very wrong with that. We know that instinctually. I'm reading a book entitled Virtuous Minds by Dr. Philip Dow. The main idea of the book is that we ought to seek to develop our intellectual character in order to be more successful both academically and in life. As much as we seek to develop moral character, that moral character flourishes in the context of a virtuous mind, he says. And so there are different aspects of a virtuous mind that Dr. Dow commends, not the least of which is intellectual curiosity. Intellectual curiosity is, in his words, quote, the earnest desire to know the truth which inspires one to ask the question, why? Death affects all of humanity alike, both Christian and non-Christian, both the religious and the irreligious. No one ever celebrates death, but for the Christian, this day, today, marks the day that we remember the death of Jesus. It's a day that we come together to sing and to worship God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, precisely because of his death. We even call it Good Friday. 
Any sane person, upon realizing that we celebrate the death of another human being, would think that there's maybe a few screws loose among those Christians. At best, at worst, that somehow we're twisted, immoral, or wicked for commemorating the death of another. Why would we do that? The reality is that the Bible, which for the Christian is the authoritative word of God, the Bible paints a very different picture for the reason in nature of Jesus' death. It was an ordinary death in that he is a man. He did have blood flowing through his veins. He breathed oxygen. He did have flesh and bone that could feel pain just like any other man. And yet, his death was not ordinary in that Jesus didn't have to die. The intellectually curious would then ask the question, why? Why does everyone else have to die, but Jesus didn't have to die? Well, the book of Romans is one of the most thoughtful and thorough presentations of the gospel in all of Scripture. It's almost completely oriented towards outlining the reality of the need for the gospel, the specifics of the gospel, and how we ought to respond to the gospel. In chapter 5 in particular, the Apostle Paul gives a thorough explanation of why there is death among humanity and also precisely why Jesus died on the cross. His death was not like the first death, nor any other death that came after. His death was different. It was special. We celebrate Good Friday. We commemorate the death of Jesus because his death is the death to end all death. I'd like to look there this evening. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire chapter, but we'll focus particularly on verse 19. Romans chapter 5, I'll start at verse 1 and read all the way through to the end. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God, that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we come before your word, I pray that you would speak for your servants are listening, that you would help your servants to have listening hearts, whatever we might have been thinking about or doing this past week, whatever we might have been troubled by this past week or even today, I pray, Father, that you'd help to move all those things aside so that we might hear from your word this evening. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll answer two questions from this one verse, chapter 5, verse 19. Again, that's going to be our focus. The first question is, why does anyone have to die? The second is, why did Jesus die? I think these are the two most important questions you'll ever ask and your understanding of and faith in the answers is literally a matter of life and death. Let's look at the first question again. Why does anyone have to die? Look again at the first part of Romans chapter 5 verse 19. I'll read the whole verse again for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. This chapter, chapter 5 of Romans, is a series of assertions and conclusions. If you trace through chapter 5, you'll see a number of fours and therefores and nows and senses and a whole host of ands, all indicating in their own way a conclusion of some sort or a relationship to the previous statement. If we were working our way through the book of Romans, I'd take my time to bring that out, but... It's really not necessary because Paul tends to repeat himself in this passage a lot. And as we go through, I'll try to show some of the relationship between the different verses. Nevertheless, the four here in our verse indicates that it's all connected to what he's been saying this whole time. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. By the one man's disobedience. Well, who is that one man? In the context, the one man refers back to Adam. He's initially referenced by the name of Adam in verse 14 of the chapter. Before that, Paul makes an assertion in chapter 1 that we have been justified by faith. If you didn't know anything about chapters 1 through 4, you would wonder what it means to be justified. It becomes clear as he goes through the rest of the letter, but to be justified means to be declared not guilty. It's really, the idea is a, a kind of a legal context. Imagine yourself in a courtroom setting. A crime has been committed. You are the prime suspect. Evidence is presented. Arguments are heard. The judge weighs the information. And on the basis of the information, he declares you to be not guilty. 
You are not deserving of the sentence, the consequence for breaking the law. You are declared not guilty. In the eyes of the law, while it may have been suspected that you committed a crime, in the eyes of the law, based on the evidence presented, the judge declares that you have committed no crime, that you are, with respect to the law, righteous. You did not break the law. You do not deserve the consequence for being a lawbreaker. You are not guilty. You are justified before the law. The people, in the eyes of the judge, whose sole job is on the basis of the law to either declare you guilty or not guilty. In his eyes, you have been declared not guilty. Before the law, you are justified. In the context of Romans 5, we all need to be justified. We needed to hear from the judge that we are not guilty. Otherwise, we would stand condemned before the law of God. Look again at chapter 5. We were in serious trouble. Verse 6, it says that we were weak. Verse 8 says that we are sinners. Verse 10 says that we are enemies. And in the context of that verse, we are enemies of God because of our sin. We were weak. That's equated with being a sinner. If you read Romans chapters 1 through 4, we see Paul making a case for this in very practical terms. He says, In chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, there is no one righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What does he mean by that? That they are not righteous, they do not do good. This is not good in the common sense of good, meaning it doesn't mean good in the eyes of other men. I think sometimes we get confused when we talk about people being good people. We all know a lot of good people who may have nothing to do with God. But the fact that they're good in our eyes doesn't mean that they're good in God's eyes. God has a different standard. His standard is his word. His standard is his law. The law says do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not take the Lord's name in vain, worship him only, honor your father and mother, don't covet your neighbor's possession, etc., James says that if you break the law at any one point, you're guilty of all. So if you've dropped the ball in any one of those areas, you've broken the law, and therefore you are a lawbreaker and deserve the consequence for breaking the law. That's the way it works. When he says there's no one who does good, he means that there's no one who keeps all of the law. We all fall at some point. We all break the law at some point. Therefore, we're all guilty before God. In God's eyes, there's no one righteous, no one who hasn't broken the law. This is a quotation from the Old Testament. Paul applies to all mankind, both the Jew and the Gentile. It applies to the Jew, the religious type in Paul's day, the church-going type, and that they may frequently pass judgment on those who do not look to the law of God as a standard while at the same time breaking the law themselves. These are the religious types who condemn others for their lack of religiousness. Maybe they themselves go to church sometimes. Maybe they put on an air of obedience toward God sometimes. But in their heart of hearts and in the dark when no one else sees them, they have no love for God. No desire to serve him. They break his law just like everyone else. Religiousness doesn't justify you before God. In other words, the religious still sin. They still fail to do good in the eyes of God. They break his law. It also applies to the Gentile, the non-religious type, the non-church going type, or at least 
the type that follows a faith other than faith in the God of the Bible. They may worship many gods. They may worship one other God. They may worship themselves. Romans chapter 1. They don't know God in the traditional biblical sense. The things that they could know about the true and living God, the God of the Bible, they tend to suppress. They tend to ignore. They explain away in some way, shape, or form. There's always some excuse or some reason not to follow God. Paul says that ignorance doesn't justify you before God because the ignorance still sin. We're all in serious trouble, in other words. doesn't matter if you are religious or if you are irreligious. All of us are lawbreakers. Therefore, all deserve the consequence of breaking the law. I've used this illustration many times before. If you're speeding down the road, the road here is a 25 or 30. I think it's 30. Thank you for that. It's a, it's a 30 right on, right on Frederick Road here. And so if you go, technically, if you go 31 miles an hour, you're going above the speed limit, right? So if you get pulled over, you have broken the law and therefore deserve the consequence. You have become a lawbreaker. Now, we know that we're probably not going to be pulled over going 35 miles an hour, right? And so some of us tend to push it going 35 or 40 or what have you. But the reality is that if you break the law, then you deserve the consequence. Now, if we are going five or 10 miles over and we get pulled over, we might plead for mercy and, you know, it's just five or 10. I'm sorry, Mr. Officer. And, you know, they'll probably be lenient on you because, you know, well, maybe they'll be lenient on you. I don't know. But we definitely want that leniency in those cases, right? Or what about if somebody breaks into your home? They break into your home, they steal your stuff, they harm one of your family members. Would you want the officer to be lenient on that person if they plead for mercy? The lawbreaker, should they receive mercy or should they receive justice? You would want for them to receive justice. You might plead to your blue in the face for the officer to let you go because you were speeding. But when that person breaks into your home, you want justice. See, we all want a God who is just. We just don't want his justice to affect us. (laughs) But deep down in our hearts, we want a God who is just. And the Bible paints a picture of a God who is just. And that's why, again, when we come back to Romans and we see words like those who are weak, those who are sinners, those who are enemies of God, we want to cringe in that because we want to say God is, is, is good and he should be merciful to me. I was just going five or ten miles over. But God is just. And so he should judge you rightly concerning your sin. If you are a lawbreaker, you deserve the consequence. Period. So we're called his enemies in the text. What is the consequence for sin, for the breaking of the law? Romans chapter 6:23, the wages of sin is death. Well, we get paid for sin, what we deserve as lawbreakers, the consequence for breaking the law of God, even one aspect of the law of God is death. God is just. 
But in this way, you understand that death is a separation of the soul from the body. It is a separation of one loved one from another, but it's also illustrative of the separation between us and God. We are estranged from him. We are his enemies. Our relationship with him has been broken due to sin and the consequence of death. Now you may ask, how did this happen? How did this come about? How did we become so weak? How did we become sinners, enemies of God? How is that even possible? Again, back to Romans chapter 5, verse 19. By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Similarly, in other verses in the chapter, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. Verse 15, the many died through one man's trespass. Verse 16, the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Sin came into the world through one man. One man's disobedience, one man's trespass led to death. His sin led to condemnation, to a pronouncement of guilty from the judge. And that pronouncement of guilt bore with it the sentence of death. And that death in turn spread to all men. Again, we read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where God made very clear to Adam what his expectation was. If you eat from the fruit, you will surely die. But Adam disobeyed and he ate. So God restated in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, to dust you shall return. And then as we continue through Genesis in chapter 5, and I won't read that, but if you read through Genesis chapter 5, you see a lineage being presented of all of those who came after Adam. And the one phrase that's repeated over and over again in Genesis chapter 5 is, And he died. I think if any of us were to look up our ancestry on ancestry.com or one of those other places, we could very easily insert that same phrase after the name of all the previous living generations. Adam, the first man, sinned. He broke the law of God, and because he broke the law of God, As he was our head, our representative, so we too fell under condemnation. And Adam's breaking of the law of God fundamentally changed his nature. The text says in Genesis that his eyes were opened. And he saw things differently. His relationship with his woman changed. His relationship with God changed. He hid from God. No longer comfortable walking with God in the cool of the day. Naked and unashamed. He hid from him. Well, Adam's nature changed, Eve's nature changed, and because their nature changed, when they conceived, the nature of every subsequent child was fundamentally changed. Instead of being inclined to obey the law of God, the nature of humanity was inclined to disobey. It was inclined to pursue life its own way, on its own terms, for its own glory. That's why the text says that we were weak. That's why the text says that we are sinners. That's why the text says we are enemies of God. We are born in sin. We are born with a nature desiring to disobey the law of God. That's why you never have to teach a child to become angry or to be selfish or to lie. It is in the disposition of each and every one of us. It is in our nature to disobey God. This makes us weak, again, sinners in his eyes, lawbreakers, condemned, his enemies, those deserving death. And we can't simply blame Adam for our wretched state because each and every one of us play the part daily. 
Paul summed it up this way at the end of Romans chapter 1. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Even giving approval to others who practice such things. All of us play the part daily. Now, those who refuse to believe the word of God at this point, who refuse to believe that we're all enemies of God because of our sinful nature, do so because we think that there are some people in the world who are better than others. Again, there are some people in the world who we think are essentially good. And again, the problem with that is that we're comparing ourselves to one another. And the standard isn't us. The standard is always God. It's his word. And the reality is that it is only those who perfectly keep his law who can ever be considered good. Only a man who perfectly obeys the law of God would be capable of being declared not guilty and righteous. Again, the text said that there's no one who fits that bill. Why does anyone have to die? Well, we have to die because God is just. He is good. He is righteous. He will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. We have broken his law. Thus, being the good judge that he is, he must judge sin. God is also love. And as we have sinned against not only him, but also others, he must properly judge us for our sin. And if we have thus sinned against him and against others, we deserve to suffer the consequences. We all die. We all must die. And it doesn't matter how we die. We all must die because we are all sinners. We are born that way. We come into this world with sinful, wicked hearts. There is no one righteous, not even one. We need to be justified. We need someone to justify us because we can't do it ourselves. Condemnation is all we have earned. That leads us to our second point. Why did Jesus have to die? Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Well, who is the man who obeyed? Whereas Adam is identified as the one who sinned, who sin set humanity on the trajectory of existence with a sinful nature and inclination towards disobedience of God's law. Jesus, the son of God, is pictured as the one who obeyed. All references Jesus originally in chapter five, verse one. He is the one through whom we have peace with God. But how does he bring peace? Again, verse 19, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. He said also in verse 18, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 20, grace also reigns through righteousness through the Lord Jesus. It is the righteousness of Jesus, his perfect obedience to the law that sets him apart from every other human being who ever walked the face of the earth. In theology, and particularly around Christmas time, we talk about the necessity of the virgin birth. Why is that so important? We read about that in our, the, the uh, Christological statement that we read earlier also. It is important, it is significant, it is necessary because the virgin birth secures a sinless nature for the man Christ Jesus. 
Again, all of those born from Adam are born with a sinful nature, but Jesus was not born from Adam in the traditional sense. Yes, Mary was descended from Adam, as is every human being, but Jesus was not conceived through the union of a man and a woman. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit who used the womb and the seed of the woman to bring forth the man, Jesus Christ. That doesn't make Mary something special. That means that God is special and that his work is special. But it also means that the sinful nature was not passed along because of this miraculous conception. Jesus is truly God and he is truly man. And that's the point. He didn't have the sinful nature that other human beings have. He was sinless. Having been born of the Holy Spirit, truly God, he became truly man. Thus, he went about his life as a sinless human being. At every point, he was tempted as we are, as a man. He was even particularly tempted by Satan in a way that we are not overtly tempted. But in all those things, he steadfastly remained obedient to his father. Now, the text says there is no one righteous, no, not one. That doesn't apply to Jesus. He is the epitome of righteousness. John calls him in 1 John chapter 2, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If he is righteous, if he was obedient, if he is not guilty, then he does not deserve death as the rest of humanity, but rather he deserves life. He is truly the one who is justified according to the law of God. He alone stands justified before God on his own merit, on the merit of his perfect obedience. Again, Romans five nineteen. by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Well, he is obedient. I think we've made that very clear, but how does his obedience make others righteous? Again, to be righteous is to be not guilty. It's to be justified, free from condemnation. But how does the perfect obedience of Jesus make others righteous? Well, because in obedience to his father, Jesus died for us. Again, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Yes, his obedience was in general keeping the law of God, perfectly executing the law of God at every point, but it was also as dying as a substitute for sin. Again, if you follow the logic of the passage, Jesus didn't deserve to die because he never sinned. Sinners deserve death because they've broken the law of God, and that is the consequence for sin. Jesus did not deserve death because he never sinned. He did not break the law of God, thus he deserves life. He is righteous, deserves to be declared righteous for his, his obedience, therefore deserves life. But his obedience to the law of God, to the word of God, also encompassed his death on the cross, not for his own sin, but for our sin. We read about that earlier in Hebrews chapter 10. When Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Again, in our passage. One act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for us. 
Verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus took on the role of priest and made a sacrifice for the people of God. The sacrifice that he made was not a bulls and goats, but rather the body that God prepared for him. What we cannot do, we cannot justify ourselves. We cannot save ourselves from the coming judgment of God. We are his enemies. We deserve only condemnation, death. What we could not do, God did for us by sending Jesus to die for us as a substitute. Substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, the righteous for us, is the gift of God. Again, Romans chapter 5. The free gift is not like the trespass. The grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the man, Jesus Christ, abounds for many. Verse 16, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Our question should never be, why does someone have to die? But our question should be, why would anyone be given life why would God spare any none of us deserve it and if you don't understand that you don't understand Christianity in order to understand Christianity you have to understand that first you don't deserve life I don't deserve life none of us do but God is good he is gracious And so he does provide a substitute for us. And Jesus willingly, obediently went to the cross, gave his body, allowed his body, his life to be poured out unto death in obedience to his father as a gift of grace to those who only deserve his judgment. And because Jesus poured out his life unto death, Because he shed his blood on the cross as a gift of grace, we are forgiven. Our status as sinner is wiped clean. Our sin, the consequence of our sinful nature and sinful acts, were laid on Jesus as he lay upon the cross. And with his death, the judgment due for our sinful nature and our sinful acts was satisfied. The justice due to us was satisfied in Jesus. And now we have the privilege of being declared not guilty. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath. Verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And again, our verse, by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We are justified by his blood, reconciled by his death, saved by his life, made righteous by his obedience. Death is the greatest enemy of humanity. And no one ever celebrates death. No one wants to consider death. We all try to avoid death as much as possible, but the word of God is clear. We all must die because we all sin. But that's not the end of the story. For the Christian, there is such a thing as a good death. The death that we commemorate on Good Friday was a good death. 
the death of Jesus is good, not simply because a man lost his life. We do not commemorate Good Friday because of the ugliness, the messiness, and gruesomeness of the cross. We're not going to go and talk about how heinous and wretched the cross was and the crucifixion was. That's not the point. We celebrate Good Friday because this particular man who gave his life gave a good life, a righteous life, a life worthy of living before God, a life not worthy of death, he is the one who gave his life. He is the one who poured out his life unto death. And because he did that, in him we are forgiven. We are made righteous. And all we bring to the table in all of this, we sinners who are poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, we sinners who need hope and can only find that hope in Jesus Christ. All we bring is our neediness and our faith. Many others have died. Jesus alone has died the death to end all death. I wonder, have you trusted in him today? Today can be for you a good Friday if you would trust in the Lord Jesus if you'd like to know more about him, we can talk later after service. I'm sure there are others who'd be able to talk with you about him a little more as well. Perhaps you have trusted in the Lord Jesus and the truths we've discussed are not new to you. Let them be for you a reminder of the goodness and grace of God. That death is, death is nothing to fear for us. Because in Christ we don't have temporary life. We have eternal life. We have eternal life that is secured by the righteousness of Jesus Christ and by his death for us on the cross. By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. If you believe this in a few moments, let us rejoice together again in that blessed assurance that faith in the Lord Jesus provides. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for today. We thank you for the reminder from your word that we don't deserve life. That there's only one person who's ever existed who deserves life. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. And that he deserves life. And that he poured out his life unto death as a substitute for us is the only way we may stand before you. I pray that you would help my friends, each one who are here today, to consider this truth. That you'd help them to measure their own heart and their own life before your word that you'd help them to realize that all they are, all any of us ever are, are weak and wounded, sick and sore. That apart from Jesus Christ, we are your enemies deserving only death. But because you are gracious, because you are good, you sent forth your son to bear our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin 
and have new life in him. Help us to consider these truths and to rejoice in these truths tonight as we continue to meditate on his salvation this weekend. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.